following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good day, Christian Life Austin. Happy, happy Palm Sunday. Who would ever thunk, that's a word I'm, I'm bringing to you today, who would ever thunk that we'd be preaching to an empty building on Palm Sunday? The day normally when the crowd is overflowing and only exceeded by Easter. <clears throat> but what a joy it is to be able through this beautiful communication network that we have to come right into your living room and to talk to you today on this glorious fifth day of the month of April 2020. Let me start off by telling you how much I love you and how much I miss you. <clears throat> and I sent you a little thing, a little tweet the other day on Twitter if you do Twitter, if you do Twitter and you tweet on Twitter, go to it and see. I've got Snoopy hugging a little parakeet, and that's my hug for you. So I wished I could just kind of wrap all of you up. I thought about coming down to the front row and acting like everybody was on the front row and to go down the aisles and start hugging people, and I think that'd be a little outside the box. I think you'd think I was stir-crazy and had too much cabin fever. But anyhow, it's so good to come to you today and to talk to you about what I feel compelled in my heart to speak about. I want to I declare something to everybody that I thank you for the wonderful response that is coming back to our church. I thank God for our men and women that are helping produce this all under the auspices of Jaron Davis, our uh, AVL director. But I, I want to thank you because of your commitment to watching the services we're getting so many likes and so many people are watching. Last night or Wednesday night was a beautiful night for us. Pastor Philip spake and there was almost 1,400 people on a Wednesday night joined in and watched that service. And so we thank you so much. I know you enjoyed Tarn Wells today. I know you enjoyed him. We brought him in, kind of snuck him in because we wanted you to see him he and his wife are kin to Patty and I. In fact, Torn and I are not kin, but our wives are. And so we are blood cousins by marriage. Amen. And so the joy of having them here with us on this weekend was just an awesome thing. And uh, they blessed us, and they, I know they blessed you. And now we're going to preach the gospel to you. I'm not going to be lengthy today, but I am going to talk about what happened on this day some 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to speak on the word triumphant, triumphant. You know, there's a difference in victory and triumph. Victory is winning a race. Victory is having a gold medal one day. But being triumphant is living in that victory every day. And there's so many people that live like the book of Judges, folks. They're high one moment. They're down the next. They get a, a, a redeemer to come and help them and get them out of problems. They get back up and then they fall back down. That's not, that's not triumphant living. What I want to preach today is the, the beauty of triumph. And Jesus Christ brought triumphant living to us on Palm Sunday. And I want to declare it to you today and bring it to you from my heart to your heart. The Bible says in John chapter 2, verse 13, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was seven feasts every year in the calendar year. There were seven. Four of them were optional, but three of them were mandatory. 
And Passover was a mandatory feast of the Lord. It was a necessary thing. So there was thousands, hundred thousands of people in Jerusalem. The second one that was mandatory was Pentecost. And the third was the Feast of Tabernacle. We'll talk about that later on. But remember that. Keep that in your heart. Luke chapter 19 says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the coat? Jesus said he'd say that. And they replied, The Lord needs it. They said what the Lord said. And they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks, remember that word there, cloaks, on the coat, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks, there's that word again, on the road. And when he came near a place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, they said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke their disciples. They said, In essence, tell them to quiet down. They're praising too much. And Jesus said, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. My subject, triumphant today. I read about a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday and stayed home from church with his mother. And his father returned from church holding a palm branch. And the little boy was curious and asked, why do you have a palm branch, Dad? And the dad said, son, when Jesus came to town, everyone waved a palm branch to honor him. So we got palm branches today. And the little boy replied, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. I love that story. O thou that inhabits the praise of your people. I love that phrase. O thou that inhabits the praise of your people. This is a special day in the fact that it is the worship day of all worship days that we honor. It's Palm Sunday. It's the praise day of all praise days. It's the feel-good Sunday of the year. Everybody feels good today. This is the day we proclaim Jesus is Lord. This is the day we proclaim He is Messiah. This is the, way, the day we talk about He is our all in all. And there's three beautiful names in the Old Testament of Jehovah God that is not mentioned a lot, and they're kind of intertwined, and three make one. One is Jehovah Elohe, which means the Lord my God. And one is El Elohe Israel, means the personal God. And the third one is Jehovah Elohinu, the Lord our God. So I want you to say at home, the Lord is my God, and the Lord is a personal God, and the Lord is our God. I want you to look around at your family and say, he's my God, he's personal, and he's our God. He's God of this house today. That's what I want you to say. If there is a day that praise to the Lord needs to be on our lips, this is the day. And at the end of Luke chapter 19, he said, if these hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. I don't need a rock replacing me 
when it comes to praising the Lord. David said, a king said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, together. Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. Five days before the crucifixion, seven days before the resurrection. Before this week is over, we're going to have to go through a graveyard before we have Resurrection Sunday. We're going to have to view Mount Calvary before the Resurrection Sunday. But today, the king is coming to town. This practice was not new to the Jews. There's some things that I'm going to tell you today that are noteworthy. First of all, John in his gospel, chapter 12, said palm branches were used on Palm Sunday. See, palm branches and shouts went back four generations to the triumph in history of the Maccabees and the overthrow of the brutal Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the Saddam Hussein of his day. In 167 B.C., Antiochus precipitated a full-scale revolt when already forbidding the practice of Judaism with death, he set up in the middle of the Jewish temple an altar to the god Zeus, who in Greek mythology is the god over all gods of the world and the universe. And it was that god that he sacrificed on the altar a pig, a pig. Pretty hard slap in the face of a good Hebrew back in the day. Stinging from this outrage, an old man of priestly stock named Mattathias rounded up his five sons and all the weapons he could find, and a guerrilla war was launched, and Mattathias soon died. But his son Judas, his son Judas, whose name means hammer, kept on and within three years was able to cleanse and to rededicate the desecrated temple. Mission accomplished? Sort of. It would be a full 20 years more of fighting after Judas and a successor brother named Jonathan had died in battle. That a third brother, Simon, took over and through his diplomacy achieved Judean independence. That's history. That would begin a century of Judah and Jewish sovereignty. And of course, there was great celebration. You got to hear this now. Get Lean up on your couch. On the 23rd day of the second month in 171 B.C., the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and with palm branches and with harps and with cymbals and with stringed instruments and with hymns and with songs. You know why? Because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. They had won an earthly battle. So says the account in 1 Maccabees, story well known to the Jews in the day that Jesus rode into town. John said palm branches were used. And there's some things that you need to know about this. Palms in that day did not grow in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was devoid of palms. The nearest town for palm branches was the city of palms, Jericho which was 17 miles away, folks, 17 miles. And there was no cars and there was no trucks and there was nothing to get those palm branches to Jerusalem except going to Jericho 17 miles, 
turning around and coming back 17 miles. It was a 34-mile round trip, which lets me know <laughs> that when Jesus rode in on that coat on Palm Sunday, people came prepared to praise the Lord. They came ready. They had gone all the way to Jericho and all the way back on purpose to find palm branches to magnify the Lord our God. In the book of Leviticus, the Jewish people had learned in the Feast of Tabernacle, which was an eight-day feast, they had learned in Leviticus chapter 23 that in that feast they were to bring a strong palm branch in one hand and a willow branch in the other hand. And they were to raise that palm as a symbol of victory and joy and gladness and happiness and wonderful things. And they were to raise the willow branch as sadness and sorrow and weeping and sadness and crying. And they were to bring both of them. But I want to tell you in essence, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there was no room for a willow branch. There was no room for a willow it was the only time that I read in the Bible where it was all right just to hold a palm in your hand. Listen to me. If you're sitting on your couch, you need to clap your hands right now because Jesus has come to this earth and he has ridden into our city and he has saved multitudes of people in our world because of a place called Calvary. And I think it would be very apropos if we would clap our hands in our own home right now and say, I'll wave a palm to you today, Jesus. I've come prepared to worship. If you want to stand up and do it, go ahead and stand up and do it because God wants praise to be calmly for the upright. Amen. Amen. The second thing I want you to learn about this is that garments that people wore were thrown under the coat and used as a saddle for Jesus. One of the most gruesome in hopeless places in early 19th century England was what was called a debtor's prison. Charles Dickens describes it, but thousands of England's poor lived it firsthand. Everything the debtor owned was confiscated. Nothing was left. If any debts remained, still remained, debtors were imprisoned until the balance owed could be paid, which of course could never be because the debtor was locked up. So it was a situation of hopelessness. It was a situation of absolutely no hope. That was civilized 19th century England. But get this, but according to ancient Jewish law, there were moral limits of what could be demanded in payment for a debt. Among those things that were legally off limits was a person's most important piece of clothing, their cloak. Did I read that in my early scripture? Did I read about a cloak? Did I read it twice in my scripture? Yes. That was the only piece of clothing that the Jews would not call, you've got to give it to us for a debt. Less substantial garments could be held as a collateral, but a person's cloak was considered to be in a category by itself. For you see, a cloak offered warmth and protection. It provided modesty it shielded nakedness, and a cloak doubled as clothing and shelter, functioning as a haberdashery by day and a bedroll by night. And you could take a lot 
in payment for debts, but you could not take the cloak off of someone's back. That's great history. Cloaks represented many things in biblical days. Number one, a cloak represented family name, genealogy, tribal identity. See, every tribe, there were 12 of them, every tribe had different dress. They all dressed differently because everybody wanted to be identified by their tribal name. So the tribe of Gad didn't dress like the tribe of Dan, and Dan didn't dress like Judah. And Judah didn't dress like another tribe, Naphtali. That's the way it was. It was called pride of the tribe. <laughs> We're going to have our own identity. This is a family thing. And it also represented social order, a position that was held perhaps in someone's life. A king of royalty wore purple. Samaritans, you know that in John 4, they wore white. Jesus said the fields are white ready to harvest. Harlots wore red. And Pharisees had long robes and had phylacteries on them, long and flowing it represented their position, their social order. And then it also represented their status, not only their family, their social order, but their status. Perhaps that was perhaps an infirmity they had in their life, like a blind man wore garments that other people didn't wear. Lepers wore garments that other people didn't wear. Beggars had their own kind of clothing. And then there was multicolored garments like Joseph had a coat of many colors that were far the special. And perhaps the pure, a virtuous young lady could wear a multicolored garment. But when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem that day, none of that mattered. None of it mattered. Because what could not be taken away by the Jewish law, they offered to Jesus on purpose. They offered it to be his saddle to ride on. They offered their cloaks to put down under the coat's feet so the coat could walk on it, so Jesus could ride on it and, and ride over it. Those that worshiped put their garments under the coat's feet, and here's the reason. Because our names, our family names, our positions in life, in our infirmities, should never stop us from bearing ourselves and laying our cloaks at the feet of Jesus Christ and saying, you are greater than my name. You are greater than my position. You are greater than my infirmity. And I honor you today on this Palm Sunday. Somebody in the house needs to say amen right now because I'm preaching about a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an honor to preach it. And so when you take your cloak off, you get honest. Well, pastor, it sounds like nakedness. No, let's don't talk the flesh side. Let's talk the spiritual side. When you take your cloak off, you get honest in your praise and your worship. When you take your cloak off, you really speak words that he needs to hear. When you take your cloak off, you really get honest with him and you really get real with him. And I think on this Sunday, we need to get real with Jesus. Hmm. You know, the beauty of this whole thing was that 
miracles line the streets. A Greek author, Plutarch, describes how kings are supposed to enter a city. This is very interesting stuff. He tells about one Roman general named Aemilius Paulus who had won a decisive victory over the Macedonians. And when Aemilius returned to Rome, his triumphant procession lasted three days. Patty and I were in Rome several years ago and we saw the Arch de Triumph. We understood what it was all about where, they, where Julius Caesar rode in and all the things that he had conquered, the triumphant conquering Caesar. And the procession lasted three days for Aemilius. The first day was dedicated to displaying the artwork that Aemilius and his army had plundered from the Macedonians. So they brought all the art. They brought all the structure of the art from the Macedonians. The second day was devoted to all the weapons of the Macedonians that they had captured in the battle. And the third day, this is, this is tough. The third day began with the rest of the plunder carried by 250 oxen whose horns were covered with gold. This included more than 17,000 pounds of gold coins, folks. That's a lot of money then. It's a ton of money now. And then came the captured and humiliated king of Macedonia and his extended family. And finally, Aemilius himself entered Rome, mounted on a magnificent chariot. Aemilius wore a purple robe interwoven with gold. And he carried his laurels in his right hand. And he was accompanied. Watch this now. This was, a, this was a parade. He was accompanied by a large choir that were singing hymns and praising the military accomplishment of the great Aemilius. But that's not all. Behind him, last in line, were all the prisoners, all the people that they had not killed but taken captive. And they were all in chains. And they were in leg irons. And they were humiliated in front of all the Romans because Emilius had won a great victory. My friends, that's how a king in Rome entered into a city. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords entered Jerusalem riding on a coat or a donkey. And if he had consulted with his political advisors, they would have been aghast. They would have said, Lord, what are you doing? This is not how you do it. What are you up to? Leaders are supposed to come in with strength and with power. But when Jesus came, he projected humility. And the reason why was because his kingdom was not of this world. But his kingdom was of another world. And we serve an eternal God who manifested himself in flesh and came and walked among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Miracles lined the streets. That's my point. Miracles lined the streets. History speaks that there was probably 100,000 to 200,000 in Jerusalem that day coming for the Passover. You know who I think was there? <laughs> I think Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his 12-year-old daughter was there. I think there's in the parade. You know who else I think was there? 
I think the widow of Nain and her son who was raised from his casket on the way to the graveyard, I think they were there. You know who else I know was there? A man from Bethany named Lazarus <laughs> who was dead four days when Jesus got there. Corruption had already set in his body and Jesus called him out of the grave. Lazarus come forth. I believe Lazarus was in the parade. He was behind the king. I believe there were 10 ex-lepers there. They were looking at clean flesh and walking as people that didn't have the coronavirus and had to have a safe distance from everybody. I believe blind Bartimaeus was there because he got his healing one day when he took off his garment, his cloak, and threw it aside and Jesus healed his blind eyes. And I believe the man born blind in John 9 was there although he had mud in his eyes and went to the pool of Siloam to wash those eyes. I believe he was there. And oh, who is that? Who's that over there? Oh, somebody's waving. He's waving his right hand. That's the man that was in the synagogue who had a withered hand that Jesus said stretch it forth. He's using that thing all the time now. See the difference between Emilius's conquers and Jesus's triumphs was this. Emilius captured his prisoners and chained them. Jesus came to set us free. He took the chains off of us. He took the chains that held us down off of us. I couldn't praise him when I was in the world, but he took the chains of sin off of me, and now I can praise him. I couldn't praise him when I was sick with this old world's desires, but now I can. I'm preaching to somebody right now. The difference those behind Jesus and those behind the Roman ruler was that these were set free and they would never be bound again. And that's the reason I preach today triumphant living is living of never going back to what you were delivered from. Because who the Son has set free is free indeed. And you're free. I'd like to ask somebody today on this Sunday, Palm Sunday, has the Lord done anything for anyone in your house? You know what? There has not been one case of coronavirus that has affected our church. We have close to 5,000 members and there's not... There's not any coronavirus that has affected our church. I've been called and people have called and said, Pastor, we're still good. We're still good. He's been a shield around us and I thank God for that. Because when you look back behind Jesus and who's following him, it's not folks chained to fear. It's not folks chained to yesterday. It's not folks chained to the obstacles of life that want to hold them down. It's people that the Son has set free. And they're worshiping and they're praising and they like to welcome a king and they've come prepared to praise. Here's the thought. Jesus was headed for Calvary when the people praised him on that Sunday in Jerusalem. And here's the end of the story. Now he's king of kings and lord of lords. And if one will not praise him now, would you have praised him then? I think we ought to delight ourselves in him today. And if you delight yourself in him, Psalms 37 and 4 says, he'll give you 
the desire of your heart. It's a praise day. It's a feel-good Sunday. Jesus said, if these do not praise me, the rocks will cry out to me. You know, as far as I know, I'm, I'm coming to a close. I'm wrapping up. As far as I know, Jesus attended four Passovers, three years of ministry, then 33 and a half years. The fourth year, he was at his fourth Passover. And in John chapter 2, he went to his first one. He had just performed the miracle, turning the water to wine and then raising the nobleman's son. And it states that Jesus would not commit himself to men because he knew all men. He knew them. He knew they wasn't ready for him. He knew that they wasn't ready for this kingdom. And he needed no witness for he knew what was in man. So he knew men and he knew what was in men. And I want to declare today, he still knows that about all of us. But I think it'd be all right. Would it be appropriate if I take my jacket off as my cloak and say, Lord, I want to come to you honest today. I want to come to you unafraid today. I want to give you everything I have because you have blessed me. You have set me free from chains of past debt and past pain and past sin. And you have set me free. So I cast my cloak at your feet today and I give you my honest praise and my honest worship. So why did they come? Was it for who he was or what he had done? The Bethany crowd wanted to crown him because Lazarus was alive. They wanted him to be king. The Jerusalem crowd wanted to kill him because their power was threatened. But the crowd that didn't know anything about politics nor about Lazarus said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, Lord, save me. I need to be saved. I don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't know what happened to Lazarus. I don't know about the power struggle that was in Jerusalem, but I just want to be saved. The Greeks came to Andrew and said, sir, we'd like to see Jesus. We'd like to see Jesus. You know, everybody in this world that's not mixed up in the political realm of this life or in the historical realm of this life understand that they need something special in their life right now. I got a call just today. Somebody wanting to recommit their life to Jesus because they feel like that perhaps this is the end time. I would not go on record as saying that. I'm just saying I got that call. And I'm telling you right now, there's no greater time in all the world to empty yourself and take your cloak off and get honest with God and say, I've come to magnify you today. I've come to praise you today. I've come to cry, Hosanna to you today. I close today. So I want to ask you, who of us are going, going to go beyond praise and stay with the Lord all the way? Who possesses that commitment factor of not just a Sunday of palm praise and garment tossing praise? Jesus' ministry may have started with turning water to wine, but it ended with him teaching of sacrifice and giving oneself to a cause, a kingdom cause, an other's cause, a taking up your cross and follow me cause. Jesus taught causes. In the classic novel, The Robe, novel, The Robe, Lewis C. Douglas has a character named Marcellus who has become enamored with Jesus. 
And he wrote letters to his fiancée, Diana, in Rome. And he told her about Jesus' teachings, about his miracles, then about his crucifixion, then about his resurrection. Finally, he informed her that he had decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In her letter of response, Diana said this, What I feared was that it might affect you. This Jesus might affect you. It's a beautiful story, Marcellus. It's a beautiful story. Let it remain just a story. We don't have to do anything about it, do we? I'd like to answer her and say, oh, yes, we do, Diana. We have to do something about this story because it's the true story. Jesus wants you to live in triumph. So it was his triumphant entry into the society of a week that would take his life and he would rise again on the third day. We're going to celebrate him all week. We're going to rejoice all week long. And we're going to take our cloaks and we're going to get honest with him. We're going to share our heart with him this week because he is, he is the triumphant Christ. I love you very much. I read something just the other day, just a little neat saying said, there's a place nearby where a carpenter still mends broken men. There's a place, there's a place nearby where a carpenter still mends broken men. Right now where you are, right now where you are, I would like for you to lift your hand and close your eyes. I'd like to pray over you because this is Palm Sunday. It's a celebration day. You need a palm branch. You need to cast your garment. You need to become the miracle in the street. You're loved. You're loved by Jesus Christ. You're loved by this pastor. You're loved by this church. I want you to listen to me right now. And I want you to repeat with me. Dear Jesus, I love you. And I want you to forgive me of my sin. And wash me with your blood. And make me whole in my life. I receive your love. And I receive your forgiveness in my life. Claim me, Lord. Take me. Because I want to receive you right now. And if you've prayed that prayer where you are, you have started on your journey. God has touched your life. He has saved you from chains. He saved you from your past. He saved you from your sins. And you need to start on a journey and say, I'm going to find a church. I'm going to call it home. I'm going to rise and be water baptized. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit control my life and fill my life with His presence. And I will live for God and I will celebrate Palm Sundays for the rest of my life in a triumphant way. I love you. God bless you. You're awesome. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you this week. God bless you.